Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Peter, hello. Nice to see you. Hey, Tanya. How are you? I'm good. Always happy when I see you. Back for another installment of our Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. And as always, we have on um, a really great guest with a very relevant and necessary topic. So I will go <laughs> right in. <laughs> we'll edit this out. I'm going to go right into just presenting him, introducing him. We have Ben Springer on today, an author of a book with a title that is very hard forget to forget called Happy Kids Don't Punch You in the Face, mm-hmm. which I think we all believe is true. A little bit about Ben is that um, he received his master's in educational psychology He has been a teacher, an autism specialist, a school psychologist, a director of um, special education. So lots of background to be writing a book on this topic. Currently, he works as the director of the Family Education Center in Wathich County School District, where he manages Totem PD, um, which is a professional development learning company all around, you know, I think dealing with behavioral issues in a proactive and, you know, in the moment kind of way. So I think this is just a really important topic because it's one of those things that are very alive and making a lot of noise on um, just about every platform you go to is student behavior problem. And one thing I thought was interesting for listeners, he's going to talk a a lot about, not a lot, but he will mention from Little House to the Prairie to Now, that's kind of a timeline that he uses and how the question that, something that keeps coming up um, or even as stated, is that things are worse than they've ever been before. But mm-hmm. his view is that maybe not so much. It's more about we just are having a very new discussion about how we talk about children and children's rights and children's needs, and that our system just really hasn't caught up to it yet. So what are, we're seeing is, at least in part, a lot of children who in the past would have just been let go of, expelled, put away, you know, put away are now, we understand it's our responsibility to work with those students more and more, but the tools for how to do it, you know, are not always the easiest. Yeah, I really, I enjoyed the conversation. Um, He, you know, he talked about positive psychology. He's like the epitome of positive psychology when I'm, when I'm talking to him, because for those of, for those listeners who will actually watch the YouTube video, which is well worth it, he's just smiling and, you know, he's, he just seems um, very engaging that way. And, you know, people are going to think that I come into these with a list of questions. And I hear that quite a bit, like you must do a lot of studying and you have a list of questions. I definitely study the guests, but I walk in with one question and then just let the rest kind of flow. So when I ask a question like, are there any like two or three things people can do right now as they're, you know, as they're working with students, that was not sort of a question that Ben had access to beforehand. It's really just a conversation. And he did a fantastic job of talking about positive mantras and people who hear me hear him uh, discuss asking questions and those kind of things. So what I like is that this is a topic where you can kind of be really theoretical and you can just be kind of like what the research says, but he had a perfect balance between both what the research said and his influences 
along with some very practical suggestions on what people can do today when they're listening to the when they're listening to the podcast. So I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, if there's ever an area in education that needs reality to meet practice quickly, it's when you're dealing with what what any kind of school behaves, student behavior discipline issues. So yeah, I thought he was super practical. For listeners who are a fan of Martin Seligman, for fans of this show, I probably mentioned it before, huge fan of his work. I think he's probably known as the father of positive psychology. That seems to undergird a lot of um, Ben's work. Yeah. And so he applies those principles to how does that same, the same stuff that works for us adults um, to, to live a thriving life, how can that also also support students? But again, not in this distant way from the real problems that educators are facing on the ground. Um, so I, I won't reveal those four pillars. I believe he talks about four pillars being there, but when you listen, you're going to hear them. And they're I don't think they're the kind that you hear every day. I think he really um, is getting at some new some new angles and new ways of thinking about this that also aren't like brand new shiny toy. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Right? So um, I think listeners will really enjoy that. Yeah, so happy listening. Happy listening. See you on the other side. Did you know Corwin provides Visible Learning Plus workshops led by some of the biggest thought leaders in education? Discover strategies from John Hattie, Fisher and Fry, and more as they share evidence-based solutions for immediate impact in your classroom. Get started at corwin.com today. Ben Springer, welcome to the Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, you have um, one of the most interesting uh, book titles and i'm sure this is everybody has told you this so this is not new but well, actually two gps good parenting strategy yeah. the second one is happy kids don't punch you in the face that's right that's right and i feel like i see both of those books and i want to say this is going to be my main coaching question tell me more so, where did this yeah. uh, where did this come from with happy kids don't punch you in the face yeah the, it came from so my background is a school psychologist, and for a few years, I had this uh, this niche, and I'm sure they're they're called different positions over the country, but like a behavior specialist. So we'd go into special education programs or EBD programs, and I was I was doing that for years, and um, I had developed a training to de-escalate situations, and one of the modules in there applied, you know, it was the application of positive psychology in these behavior intervention plans. And I called that part of the training, happy kids don't punch you in the face. And then when I, uh, my encounter with Corwin and Jessica, they were like, that's the name. That's the name of your book. That's the name of, of the approaches. And that's the gist of it. So it's just kind of this approach to um, addressing kids who are struggling. And, you know, I'm like, we're talking like the, the dangerous scary stuff that happens in schools that principals and teachers have to deal with. So it's an approach to help address the, the aggression that we see in schools. <laughs> so I have a, I, I kind of have a load of questions because one of the things when you, when you said behavior specialist, it made me think of, I remember I was in Port Huron, Michigan a few years ago, <laughs> pre-COVID pre working with coaches and a few of them were behavior specialists and it was kind of this thing where it was the first day of school and a teacher brought a kid out and looked at one of the behavior specialists and said, is he on your list? And the yeah. kid, hey, kiddo, what's what's your name? And they said their name. And he was like, no, it's not. Well, he should be on your list. <laughs> I just remember talking a lot then 
about the fact that it seemed like the behavior specialists never got the opportunity to be proactive because they were mm. in this reactive mode. Um, do you is that something that you see still happening, or do you wow. try to figure out a way to do a proactive approach? You know, that's that's insightful, and I would say that's actually probably more common than not that um, we're kind of so many school systems and. We're, we're trying to do better. You know, every school system's obviously trying to improve uh, supports for, for challenging behaviors and stuff, but a lot of it is um, putting out fire modes and it is very reactionary. And uh, I think, I think it's something that it takes, it takes a lot of focus and a lot of attention to, to, to build into these preventative models. And that's, that's, I guess if there's like three main parts of the book and the approaches the first one that we talk about really is what, what are the roots of aggression in kids? And then what are the preventative models that we can use to get in there? And, and coaching principals or specialists to really, really um, to invest in those preventative approaches, which is usually, you know, early childhood and parent outreach, <laughs> yeah. which, um, which is what I think we would, that's the first kind of chunk of the, the book or the approach is to start looking for those things so it becomes less of a reactionary job and and unless like I got to put out all these fires and more um of uh, preventing these fires from happening as you know what I wonder though with the the roots of aggression that's a really good way of looking at it one of the conversations I've had in in coaching um when I'm coaching you know middle school and high school leaders specifically there are a lot of them that are looking at maybe transferring from a zero tolerance policy to looking mm. for sort of justice policy. But one of the things they run into is the people that want to pound of flesh. Um, that, oh, that yeah. The wording that came out from one of the assistant principals that I was working with a few weeks ago in California, he said, you know, he's he's kind of dealing with adults who want a pound of flesh. So how how do you help them find the roots of aggression? with the students that they might be seeing uh, as an issue? Um, that is a real, real struggle. And and uh, every every administrator, every teacher that I work with, it's like there's two competing interests. And this is something that um, we train and coach on and, and uh, we hope is available in in the book. You know, this is the, the big message is principles have to navigate competing interests all the time. And the first competing interest of the kid is aggressive. Right is what's best for the student. We have to go through all those placement decisions. And what is gaining a lot of traction lately when I go out and visit with schools is, yes, we have to set up plans of support for the interests of the student, um, but we've also got to navigate these interests for the educators. And I know that that that, that seems like obvious, but building principals and program coordinators and, and those that, that are struggling with this, I think it's a little bit easier to go in towards, oh, we've got to support the students because there's all these you know, placement and safeguards for them. But um, the traction that I've been getting a lot lately is the human rights of teachers are just as valuable as those of students. And so it's really meeting uh, principals and these these folks have to make those decisions um, to get away from the pound of flesh mentality. The idea is we have to create like some psychological safety for the staff. Yeah. And I, because I think they want something to change. They want, they want punishments to happen. And, you know, rightfully so, kids should get consequences for their misbehavior. Um, but there are so many lenses that any building at any given time, any teacher's looking through, and it's how do we coach and, and support teams to look through similar lenses 
understand where this aggression is coming from, apply, you know, more dynamic approaches like restorative approaches, but not at the sake of um, ignoring what the teachers are going through. And I used to combat this pound of flesh mentality with like, okay, I mean, let's, you know, that doesn't like evidence-based things. It doesn't work. Punishment doesn't work that way or whatever. And it didn't really stick. And I, you know, the longer you do it, the more you realize compassionately, we have to reach out to the parents, the the student and the teachers, as well as the, the building leader. And it's, it's just through that compassionate lens of, I get where you're coming from. I get that you want this behavior to change and let's help you and the students. And, uh, it's just it's just navigating all those competing interests and being honest about it that um, that I think helps the most. Well, because you're the expert on all behavior specialists in the whole world, <laughs> right? I, right. <laughs> I, I have a, like an old time question. You know, you always hear people saying, "Oh, kids have changed," and you know, the mm. worst they used to be. Is that true? Like, have have um, we seen an increase in these behaviors among students? I think we've seen an increase, but I think it's not a change. And what I mean by this is since Little House in the Prairie to now, the school response to misbehavior or serious aggression hasn't uh, evolved. It hasn't changed. It hasn't progressed at the rate that it that it should have. So, you know, in the 70s, when um, there started to become more and more uh, laws and protections for students with disabilities, so all these students with exceptionalities is typically who we're ending up with. Of course, there's gonna be some other acts of aggression that aren't necessarily related to uh, a disability or category or something like that. But what I have found is, um, at least you know, doing this for a long time is, the student needs haven't gone anywhere. It's just the demands of um, uh, and their rights, giving them services and access to school has become more of, um, you know, in the, in the front of what we're supposed to do. And that I think that's correlated with the information age, right? If a kid threw a chair in a classroom, anytime between Little House and the Prairie, Little House and the Prairie to like, you know, 2000, it was a no brainer, suspend expulsion. That was kind of the move. And then the information age comes. And if I'm a parent and I'm looking for, you know, back in the early 2000s, pre-Google, it would have been like, ask Jeeves, you know, like, yeah. what do I do? My student, you know, I just type in student, uh, you know, it was probably some weird diagnosis like PDD-NOS, which was this pervasive development, you know. And then 20 minutes later, if you had the patients, ask Jeeves would return some chat boxes. And then you fast forward another five years in the advent of Google and more information. Parents are getting the information that they should have been getting since the 70s. And it was like the schools, we just pushed pause on it. And so now we're playing catch up and everybody is like, where are all these kids coming from? Well, if you came up like we did it in the public education system, a lot of these kids were just expelled or kicked out of their programs. Um, and I think that's what is happening now. I think we're, we're being put to task about what we should be doing and we've got it. And we're like playing catch up. And that's the hardest part, I think, for any program, whether you're a rural, semi-rural or metropolitan school district, you're being asked to catch up now to what these students need and what they require. And school budgets aren't friendly to this. School training isn't friendly to this. And um, it, that's why I think it, we're seeing a lot more of it. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of my take on it. So when I, you know, one of the pieces of research that has stood out to me for a long time is on student engagement by Odatola. Odatola, mm. our kids feel alienated for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, they don't have an emotional connection to their teacher or school. 
And the second one is that they don't have a voice in their own learning. I know that when you're, there's a large spectrum with the students that you're talking about um, here and, and who you've talked about in the book, what are those things that we can do so the kids start to move toward that happier space so they don't punch us in the face? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what's been really, really great about, um, and th there's so much overlap about this research that you're citing on engagement and what educators can do and what the discipline of positive psychology is is recommending. And so there's these two researchers out of the University of Connecticut, um, Tom Kell and Melissa Bray, and they came up with this um, theoretical approach of consuming all this positive psychology research. And they came up, I call them these four pillars of, of okay. human happiness. But if, if, um, if we were to apply these four principles in every kid's life, in every coaching model, every leadership model, the the solutions to problems actually start cascading through. And these are like complex, you know, behavioral mental health challenges. So the first one, the pillar is, um, and this definitely overlaps with what you're talking about with, with teacher engagement. So teaching kids how to access resources at home and in the community. That's um, this first part of this, this rich theory or this, it's an acronym for R-I-C-H. So, um, and I, when I go out in trainings, not only do we share this with teachers about, hey, um, we need to help kids access resources in their community. That's the micro. And then the macro approach is we help teachers say, what resources do we need to coach you to be able to access at, at home in the community? So it's a human approach. And the second one is intimacy, which is, you know, that word can kind of, uh, you know, trigger people on any kind of spectrum of what you're thinking about. But all it really means is, um, can we forge meaningful relationships? And so that's something that we should be teaching with. And that to me is exactly what we're asking educators. And we're asking them to be engaging. We're asking them to build rapid rapport with kids, be authentic and, and, and demonstrate to them how to, how to be a, a healthy role model and a relationship there. And then competence in at least one employable skill so if that's an area that we can help kids focus on, um, when, when we ask, you know, all, you know, educators who go out and train, hey, what are the, the favorite attributes of your coworkers? You know, they'll say like, oh, they're relatable. They are positive. Um, they're good communicators. None of them say, oh, I love their written fluency or their reading comprehension. And we, the joke is, of course, those things are important. We're not trying to ignore how important literacy and numeracy skills are. But at the end of the day, um, human happiness is based off, do you, can you be employed? Can you? Can you have a competency where you can get a paycheck, access those resources, and practice those um, relationship skills that we need? And then the final kind of pillar there is uh, health. So your diet, sleep, and exercise. Mm -hmm. And um, those things, and plus a few others that we share that are in the, in the book and, and the training, these applications of positive psychology, it nudges children and humans to this area of like, wow, look at me. I can access resources. I can I can uh, have a meaningful relationship. I'm pretty good at this thing. I'm not I don't have mastery skills at it, but I'm pretty good at it. And look, I'm I'm off the M and M and Cheeto diet finally, you know. And so, those four things, when those are all you know engaged with the student, we see zero aggression. They have no reason to be aggressive. But when they don't know how to access resources, when they feel socially isolated, they don't have any meaningful skills developing and they're not sleeping or not eating right, um, we see aggression. And so that's the, fir the those four things, um, as, as cute as it can sound, it's this rich theory, it's a rich theory and all this kind of stuff. It's not like a Hallmark card. It's like this culmination of all this research from Martin Seligman and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and others just completely being adapted to what we can do in public schools. 
And um, that's where I start with the problem solving process with, with kids that are being aggressive is, um, you know, I think in special education or in education, we have to do these procedural things, which is true, and we should. But functional behavior assessments are, are pretty much the, the starting point for a lot of these problem solving models. And those have don't include anything with positive psychology. And that's where um, this approach that I'm sharing with, with folks and with teams is coming from is like, it's both. It's, they're not mutually exclusive. Let's do the good procedures. Let's do the 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 applied behavior, you know, the principles of applied behavior analysis. Well, let's include uh, this rich theory stuff and 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 concepts like flow in into kids' lives, and it's it's really successful. Those, those four are really interesting. Is there out of the four, is there one that you see more than others? Or... You know, I I I definitely coach teams. We don't we shouldn't even start to problem solve without that H part. If the diet, sleep, or extra like really sleep and diet is what we're we're going for. But there's a lot of kids that don't, um, and adults, all of us, right? We could all improve. Nobody's going to ask anybody to run marathons or anything, but just that, you know, getting getting out and, and getting a sweat going. But I, I coach teams, we shouldn't even bother with a big um, behavior plan until we've ruled out um, diet and sleep. And if we can help address those things, um, uh, you, we can see just, I mean, that's almost like the first step because you can see a world of difference if we can adjust those. And then I would say learning to access resources and like, functionally teaching kids to communicate how to how to teach them how to access these resources i would say those are the most common starting points so the h and the r <laughs> for this. Yeah. and then yeah i guess that's why i was asking too because last night i started watching the netflix documentary on blue zones and uh <laughs> i'm uh, i yes. i meditate every morning and i'm a long, <laughs> i'm a long distance runner and you know so it's, it's awesome it's not just about the, you know, the 10 minutes you meditate or the hour and a half that you run or or bike or whatever. It's about all the other things. And as a teacher and a principal, one of the things that I thought was horrible was school diet. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I'm not saying that it's not right. school's fault. I'm just saying that as a teacher, I remember working in a, we had 90% free and reduced lunch. And when I went into the breakfast to see what kids were able to access, it was chocolate donuts, chocolate milk. Yeah not a great way to start out the, the day, but also with lunches, you know, when you go in and you see pizza one day, mozzarella cheese sticks the next day, tacos the day after that. Um, I wrote a blog years ago for, for education week where I got myself in serious trouble. A friend of mine, a friend of mine had taken 10 pictures of her son's lunches every day. And I, I wasn't going to throw her under the bus. I just said, right. those pictures and like, yeah, picked it up. I had people screaming at me. But the health, the, the health is absolutely right. Like if you're not sleeping, I mean, even as adults, if I don't get a good night's sleep, I can be cranky the next day. Yeah, we, it, you're, you're dead on. And it, and I think that's, um, I think there's some really, it's so cool that you, you bring up that documentary Netflix and the blue zones and this there, it's pretty like, it's, it's pretty central to how we manage mental health and our own health and uh, agitation and behavior. And it's just, it's like kind of going back to that whole problem with from Little House in the Prairie to now, you just, we just need to catch up a little bit more. And um, I think, I think the diet is, is, is a real, a real situation. And when we, when we visit with teams, we ask them to apply this with students, but the macro apply it with ourselves too, because it, it takes stamina. It takes, it takes a whole bunch of energy to work with kids just in general and if we're not taking care of it, you know, we can we can respond in, in not uh, successful ways too. So I know that people listening are going to be 
a little upset with me because I mentioned like the food part and, you know, <laughs> they bring that in from home or I can't control my school yeah. because I'll, I'll hear that. Right. So what is something that as a takeaway, when people are listening to this and they hear the title, you know, happy, happy kids don't yeah. come to the face. And what is one, is there, maybe this is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. 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 Is there like one or two things that you think somebody could easily do that maybe they're not thinking they can do with their students within a classroom to work on the behavior and that psychological safety? Like mm -hmm. you mentioned psychological safety before. Is there one or are there one or two things that people can do that maybe they don't even consider to be a big deal that you're like, you know what, if you did this, it would start yeah. Yeah, so there's kind of four things, um, you know, we're educators, and so we come up with these cheeky, cheesy <laughs> acronyms, but it is safe. Acronyms and of education, yeah. amazing. <laughs> so the first one is like um, uh, positive mantras or salutations every day. So what that does is it's nice just to greet people, and that's just being kind, but um, kids need a lot of um, modeling of positive self-talk. And so that's what we say is salutations and positive self-talk is a real simple thing that we can do. And I'm talking from kids who are, um, you know, uh, any, anybody from nonverbal all the way to, to kids who are hyperverbal and love to talk with you. Uh, modeling positive self-talk as adults is really, really critical with the, with the kids that we work with. Um, they, if they do ever engage in self-talk, it's usually negative. And if they ever see adults in self-talk, it's usually negative. So that's a good, a good uh, safe place to start. The second one is ask questions. So um, ask, like, be authentic with students and ask them authentically for their feedback based on their experience in the classroom or whatever your circle of influence is. Ask them. It's good pedagogy, right? It's good formative assessment. Just ask get consumer feedback, um, but but be meaningful with it at any age, from preschool to high school. Um, we're in really deep competition with screens and entertainment, and so include unexpected fun things. That's the F part of the SAFE acronym. You don't have to, you know, break the bank and do a song and dance every day, but but we are in stark competition. I mean, if we're not leveraging uh, all the technology and all the stuff that we have available to us, kids are going to be seeking that stuff out because it's awesome. Uh, let's just be honest. This, uh, we don't have to be bored anymore. We can flip on it, TikTok, Netflix, anytime, anywhere. And that's what we're in, you know, fractions, <laughs> you know, we got to be, be able to spice that up sometimes. So just whatever your version of fun is or unexpectedness, that's what I coach you know, teams on. And then finally, it's just the, the classic of setting up real authentic expectations because expectations are different than rules, right? So classroom rules are kind of like speed limits and stop signs. Expectations yeah. can vary from, from uh, activity to activity and just be upfront with, with the kids about it because, um, they'll do better the more clear the the expectations are and they'll be less anxious and so much aggression and so much um, trouble in schools comes from kids' anxiety and and not knowing what they you know what what they should be doing. And uh, so those four things I think you could do anybody could do from yeah. preschool to high school. And I think those are um, high leverage practices. They're like multivitamins. Take them every day. If you do them every once in a while, they're not going to be worth your time. But if you did those four things Every single day, multiple times in a day, uh, you definitely would see dividends and uh, improved behavior in school. No, I think that's I think that's very helpful. And even with you know, somebody might look and say the positive mantra piece, and that to me is very you know, meditation practices are definitely for sure 
positive mantras as well. So no, I think those can be really powerful because we do need to have that positive self-talk because we can have the negative self-talk. One of the things that I um, learned about you when I was looking up is that, so you've got totem. So people actually have access. Can you tell me a little bit about how how totem works and, and the work you're doing there with, is it Aspen? Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the whole Happy Kids Don't Punch You in the Face book is um me sharing the the research and the evidence base behind the training programs uh that that we've created one of which is is called aspen and that's just how to de-escalate um aggressive students safely and prevent those things from happening again and as you as you know those of us that get into trainings and you travel um i would go to places and i would feel bad not leaving something that they could because this stuff you can't just you can't have, you know, one day of PD and be like, oh, thanks. We, we, we've solved all of our mental health. So uh, it's this online subscription that school districts use. And I think we have something like 30,000 everyday online users just using this platform. And um, so Aspen's in there. The safe stuff that I just shared with you uh, comes from Happy Class, which is just our general classroom management. Like if you're a teacher, we have um, any, any uh, you know, period in your career veteran or brand new it's just you know these evidence-based classroom management strategies that that should be kind of simple they're not gonna uh, um you know break break your back on them and all of these courses are designed in a plc model so if you're meeting in a plc group and you're like gosh what do i do i got this kid they're constantly interrupting or they stay in these sexually <laughs> offensive things in class or whatever you know that whole spectrum that teachers have to deal with you can pull these resources um in right there. They're embedded. You can review them. Everything's downloadable. All the copyright copyrights are waived for public schools. So it's designed to be shared in a PLC model. So that's kind of what the, the training programs are. And we love coming on campus, obviously, but um, we know school budgets and that's what it is. It's kind of a in-between to, to help it be embedded, professional learning, um, access in a professional learning community. And you have everything there from Aspen, which is aggressive behavior to classroom management um, to, other, to other stuff as well. So what did I forget before we wrap it up? What's one question you wish I asked that I didn't ask? Oh man, uh, this has been really fun. I haven't, I've, I, uh, I haven't thought about it. Here's, here's um, one thing that I, I appreciate about your time and doing this and your work is I'm going to space the, the name of it, but you have a book that has these people like holding hands and there's like a sunset. And we've been using it in our school district for a long time for coaches. It's like our coaching um, we've had it everywhere and I just, oh. I'm just, but, but I wanted to sort of throw out there that, um, coaches regardless, right. The, the coaching models that you've helped, um, develop and that you support schools and, and, and you direct schools onto, I have seen such a need for, um, coaches in this area, right? So whatever you want to call them, behavior specialists, you know, um, I would love to see a, a crossover of those coaches, that coaching model that 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 you uh, know so much about, but it's blended over from a general education and a special education. It's like almost a, a combination of those approaches, because I feel like the emphasis of a building principal and, and the schools, you know, the focus, it's, it seems to be overly on literacy and numeracy. And I just wish those coaches that are do so good at that work they also could develop these skills as well. And I think we would see, you know, um, a huge return on those uh, uh, investment of, of, of human coaches 
if they if they dabbled in both of those areas. So that's something that we've always relied on uh, a coaching model in the district that I've been a part of for the longest time. And um, also, I just want to thank you for that <laughs> for that resource. You weren't supposed to turn it. You weren't supposed to turn it back on me. You are the. Well, guy I did. I had, I had. I had. I had to. There's little little opportunity because my curriculum department would be remiss if they said, "Hey, you got to tell them thanks," because we've been using that for a long time. I, I appreciate that. And you know, when I, I, I mean, when I was working with those behavior coaches in, in Port Huron many years ago, it did shift my thinking because so often I'm thinking about academics and the questions that they came up with were definitely really important. And it's just such a different mindset that people yeah. bring them with, as opposed to, you know, a literacy coach or something like that. They looked at a behavior coach in a very different way. So. Yeah, and I think if we could meld those two somehow, some way, I think that would be pretty, pretty great. Well, there you go. Tanya is going to have to talk to me about the other <laughs> as she's looking at a book I just wrote. She's uh, going to be thinking about it. She's going to give me work right after. There you go. There you go. Thanks there a lot for that, Ben. But ben Springer, it's been a joy talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast. Hey, likewise. It's good to meet you. Yeah, same here. All right, Tanya, I know I, I feel like I say this all the time, but every guest that we have is just brings something different. I And I'm not just saying it, like I don't want people to think that. Um, it's so interesting to, to moderate a podcast because honestly, the guests that we have come in are are very different. I mean, we've had people who've had very different ideas as well. Um, but just engaging in a conversation with them and hearing about their work and what they're doing and their expertise comes out is pretty amazing. And and Ben was definitely somebody I enjoyed talking to. He uh he you know got me to lean in a little bit more when he was talking about the four pillars and he mentioned health because that's a kick of mine that I'm you know always paying attention to, not just within my own home, but just in general of being a teacher and a principal and fighting that fight for better meals and and those kind of things and uh he he was just really interesting to talk to and very practical at the same time and and I know that some people will probably hear the title of his book and yeah there's humor in the title but we also know it underlines a really serious issue that we're having in school and Ben was able to find balance between both, I think, very, very well. I think he yeah. can offer that humorous title so we kind of let our anxiety down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Listen, at the same time, he offers some really practical advice that we can use pretty immediate. So it was a it was a good conversation. Yeah, I also thought about the diet thing too. Um, and it's and it's it's very true. Like eating and sleeping. I mean, yes, maybe children have way more resiliency and energy than we do as adults, but it's going to impact you if stirring around inside of you is just a lot of stuff that does not serve as good fuel. So it's a simple yet not so simple thing, but something to look into because it could it could really make a change. And I think um, you know, again, Ben has made me, you know, think about that. Um, the other piece that I really appreciated about him is that, um, you know, both of us as lifelong learners, and it's something that we say on the show, and we really believe, he came on willing to say, you know, I was trying to maybe, you know, push my thinking in this one way, and I was getting pushback from my community because, or, or our, our, my participants, because I wasn't hearing teachers saying, 
you know, we have rights as well, too. You know, we have a right to feel safe in the classroom, which is what I'm hearing all the time from teachers, too. It's like they're all fleeing from the job and they're running. And it's like, yeah, part of it is no one wants to go to a hostile work environment and a kid who is punching you in the face, if you will, or any variation of that can make it a hostile work environment. So I thought it meant something that he realized that he had to to pay attention to that in how he was thinking about talking about this issue. And I think educators probably really appreciate and respect him for that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I I would actually love to see him run a workshop. Yeah. Love to sit in on a workshop because um, he was very engaging just from doing the interview. So, yeah. Anyway, Tanya, another great one. Another great one. I was just about to say that. So um, I really look forward to next time, who will we have? (laughs) But guess, make sure you come back so you can hear it. Um, Like, subscribe. If there are any bells and whistles to hit, please do. But we really do want to hear your feedback. Um, You know, questions to give, uh, topics you want to hear more about. We're really welcome and open to all of that. Uh, But as always, Peter, it's really great learning with you. And I look forward to um, seeing you next time. Yeah, Tony, always good to see you too. And and thank you to everybody that listens and definitely give us give us your feedback on the show as well. So till next time, Tanya. Till next time. Thanks, everyone.